What up, Rail Split Nash? We're back with the Battles of Chattanooga Part Two. Split Nation, good to hear you all back. Uh, we took the Thanksgiving week off, as you probably already know. Uh, hopefully, everybody had a great turkey day. Joining me, as always, is Rail Splitter Mary, who was in the States, I believe, for Thanksgiving. I was. What up, Rail Splitters? And yep, I was in the U.S. for American Thanksgiving because since I was about 10 years old, my family has celebrated American Thanksgiving. So I was able to spend it with friends in the U.S., which is always awesome. And, of course, we got the doctor in the house, uh, Dr. Boyce. Hello, everyone. Happy holidays. It's nice to be in December on the other side of Thanksgiving. So hopefully everybody's enjoying the craziness that is the holiday season and the lead-up to it. And uh, happy to be back. For sure. I hear that. So um, we got a pretty good episode for you. Um, but we are going to dive into a couple of things uh, that are happening in the Lincoln world. Mary, I know you came across a Facebook post, I believe. Yes, by Eric's. show friend, the great, the one and only El, aka Eric Lee. <laughs> I love that you just called him El. And yes, we actually we got to meet him when we were in Springfield, which was pretty awesome. Uh, so he posted uh, an article on the Real Splitter Facebook page just about. Uh, the first article was about how uh, the the reason for the director getting fired was actually because he had loaned a copy of the Gettysburg Address out. Um, and I think it was kind of a little bit shady how all that went down. So um, that is, um, there's a link to that on our Facebook page. But the other thing that he mentioned, and this is really, really good news for the library is that uh, they got their a three-year loan extension. They had take, taken out a, a loan in 2007 for $23 million, and they have got a three-year extension on that, so it now matures on October 31st, 2022, with a more favorable interest rate for them. Yeah, that is, that is good news. Um, well, on two fronts, I mean, it is nice. We, um, we had talked about the drama kind of around the the firing of the director of the you know at the museum and how it was kind of you know we didn't really know what happened so now we do um i do think that the story has kind of been misinterpreted a little bit uh because the story is that he decided to lend a copy of the gettysburg address excuse me to, to glenn beck's museum and i think a lot was made out of the fact that it was Glenn Beck's, mm-hmm. you know, who's, you know, if you don't know who Glenn Beck is, he's kind of a, like a neoconservative writer, talk show, radio kind of personality, I guess. Um, but I don't think it matters that it's Glenn Beck at all. Like it's, this is about as priceless of a artifact as you can find. And he lent it to some, to anyone, regardless of who they are, without going through the proper channel. So, mm-hmm. uh, to me, it sounds like that would be a 
appropriate firing. Um, that that was something that he he absolutely should not have done. And I don't know if they would have approved lending it to Glenn Beck or not, but I'm sure there's a protocol in place to lend it out. Um, and they may not have approved it. They probably wouldn't have, you know, thinking about it. But um, yeah, he violated i'm sure what they had for protocol for lending out that that priceless artifact so i uh think that it's reasonable and understandable that they fired him mm-hmm. and i believe on the receiving end of that too wasn't there some issues with who was handling it mm-hmm. okay so i did read that correctly so yes. yeah and then you know that's the worst case scenario you get people who don't know how to handle these artifacts and then you tarnish one of the most you know sacred of these artifacts of lincoln so Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't mean to say it did matter that it went to people who were not great with, I think the Glenn Beck's politics weren't a factor. And sh- and no, I got you. Mm-hmm. No, I and then hopefully this doesn't come like, you know, our government shutdown where uh, every three years we got to worry about the loan being extended. So I don't think it's going to be that way. Hopefully we get it paid off here sooner mm-hmm. rather than later. We can move on from this story. Yeah. I had the same thought, Nick, where I was kind of like, you know, are we just like, you know, is it like what it with my kids when I'm like, all right, five minutes, you need to be done with this in five minutes. And then it's like after five minutes, like, all right, you're not going to be done. Uh, seven yeah. minutes, seven, you know, and then you just keep moving it back and moving it back when really it's like, let's solve the problem. Uh, and the problem in this case is that they took out a loan and they weren't able to pay it back. And um, it, I, I still think it would have been really nice if they, had made a little bit more of a concerted effort to raise money because it felt like to me that when we found out that the loan was coming due and they were potentially going to have to sell off part of the collection, it was right before they were going to hit that mark. Like mm-hmm. they were, it was so late that like very wealthy people probably didn't have a chance to say like name something after me. And it's all you know, yours. I, I, yeah. It's all yours. Like, um, someone, I don't know, J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, or his family or something could have paid it off with a flick of the pen um, because that's not a huge amount of money if you're a billionaire. Um, I'm not saying that they should have, but he maybe would have or could have. Um, so hopefully over those three years, they have a much better plan for if they need to raise the money, to raise the money, if they've got a business plan to pay it. Um, based on the projections that they have for attendance and all that kind of stuff um, to go with that. So we'll see. I agree. There was uh, one other thing I actually just popped in my head that I did want to bring up. Um, During the time we were not on the air for the last two weeks, there was a poll that came across. (laughs) uh, And the poll, the question was, who is a better president? Abraham Lincoln or Donald Trump and the majority Republicans who voted was it male Republicans mm-hmm. or was it Republicans in general I think I can't remember exactly um, I'll have to look it up here in a second but anyways they said Trump was better than Lincoln what true story you know the, what I was trying to think about this is like even if you're like the biggest Carmelo Anthony fan of all time, the NBA basketball player, One and you think he's awesome and he's your cup of tea, the Democrats like really if you go, he's better than Michael Jordan, no, that's just not right. Like even if you're a fan of Trump, I don't know how you can, at this point, 
say he's done a better job than Lincoln yeah. did. I just don't understand that. Right. I maybe it's more similar to like your favorite band being better than Beethoven or Mozart. Like, yeah, that could work. You know, like I could see like who's a better who's better at music, Mozart or the Beatles, the Beatles or the Grateful Dead or the Rolling Stones. Clearly Mozart. But like I could see somebody saying like I don't want to listen to Mozart. I mm. I I don't care for that and saying like so by that rationale the Beatles are better. Um perhaps that's kind of the mindset like I'm not going to sit down and read the writings of Abraham Lincoln but man am I entertained by all this back and forth on Twitter or whatever else. Um and there's also I think a little bit of that, you know, um allegiance or whatever loyalty um, he himself said that many people or everyone saying that, that I'm a better president than, than even honest Abe himself. Um, so he's also putting out that narrative. Um, I don't think there's any sort of historic context or um, qualification of the question. I think when you ask that question, you need to say like, who would have been better at guiding the nation through the civil war or guiding the nation through a financial crisis mm-hmm. or handling the economy or, you know, Abraham and it and really, I think that it was. It's just kind of an absurd question, you know. Re- real quick, the poll was economist and YouGov poll, and it was fifty three percent of Republicans. Yeah, so, so I got that. So technically, I guess you could say that is most, um, but still, I. It's that's it's the headline. I think it was a head, <laughs> it was kind of like a clickbait type headline. Yeah, like, oh, if we make this the headline, people are going to be talking about it. Clearly, yeah. we are. So, but anyway, yeah, it did jump out of me as well. Yeah, I, thought, I just I thought heard it about it a few days. I heard about it a few days ago, and I still can't. I'm like, what? No. But yeah, so there was that. I guess that's all the nonsense we have for current <laughs> events. Am I correct on that? Yes, I think so. All right, so. Um, Mary, once again, is carrying the load this week. Um, So going back to part one, we got all the way through the Battle of Lookout Mountain, Mm -hmm. uh, the background leading up to that, um, and Mary did a great job kind of running us through that. So that picks up with Missionary Ridge. Uh, I don't know, Mary, if you want to provide a quick maybe 30-second, one-minute review of everything before we dive into Missionary here. Yep, for sure. I'm resisting the temptation to make a joke right now. Yeah, I, I thought about that as soon as I stopped talking. So, <laughs> As I was researching this battle, I was thinking of all the jokes I could make. And I'm like, no, I don't know if that's appropriate for all of Rail Split and Aish to, to hear. For I want to let that side of my personality show or not. I, uh, I was talking about big stick diplomacy today in class, so... Uh, gotten used to a little bit nice. of the laughter. Nice. I did want to say, like, they hold their positions on Missionary Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, so a quick recap. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. <laughs> I think it's fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's nice for once that you taking us down the gutter instead of me. You're welcome. See, but that's a good way to do because it's not in your face. Like, kids won't get that. It's not, you know, anyway. I'm just trying to be subtle. <laughs> right now, they're asking their parents in the car, "What is? Why is it? What are they talking about? What are they doing? What? What? Okay, so any, so just a quick recap. So um, the situation leading up to these battles of Chattanooga, um, there's drama going on both sides. 
um, in the Confederate Army of Tennessee, you have Braxton Bragg basically at odds with all his, like most of his commanders. There's been a petition signed, which has brought De- Jeff Davis down to Chattanooga to try and do some team building um, because his commanders want Bragg removed. And because Bragg is friends with Davis, Bragg stays in command. Um, on the Union side of things, Rosecrans is basically in the same state that Hooker was after Chancellorsville. He's basically not able to think about what to do. Um, things are in real disarray. So Grant is brought down to command. And then you have the Battle of Lookout Mountain, which is a Union victory led by General Hooker. And um, as much as Grant, unfortunately, Grant downplays the battle, it is actually very, very important in helping to secure Chattanooga for the Union eventually. And yes, that is a spoiler alert, Rail Splitters. But I'm sure if you are listening to the show, you already know what happens. Um, so that leads it. So Battle of Lookout Mountain is November 24th, 1863. And that leads us into the Battle of Missionary Ridge, which was also supposed to be fought on November 24th, 1863. But as we will see, it wasn't. It was fought the day after on November the 25th. Um, the commanders here are General Grant, and he's leading uh, for the Union, the Military Division of the Mississippi, which, as we mentioned in the last show, is a newly created department. And um, it includes the Army of the Tennessee, led by General Sherman, and the Army of the Cumberland, led by General Thomas. So there's a total of 56,359 Union troops engaged at this battle. On the Confederate side of things, we have General Braxton Bragg uh, leading the Army of Tennessee, and he has 44,010 troops. So he's little bit less than what the Union are. And so on November 24th, things do not go as planned for General Sherman. He's in the wrong place. He's actually at a place called Billy Goat Hill, which is right across from Missionary Ridge. There's a valley that separates them. He's supposed to be at Missionary Ridge. And Grant wanted this to be the primary attack on the 24th, the same day that Hooker took Lookout Mountain. And that's why Lookout Mountain becomes the battle of the 24th because Sherman can't really do anything. He's got to get his troops across this valley towards Missionary Ridge. Um, But as I said, what Hooker did at Lookout Mountain helps to secure the victory of Chattanooga. So Hooker, therefore, is greater than Sherman. Is that what you're saying? At this point, yes. Sherman, this is All right. This is you not... heard it here. Mary admits that Hooker was a better general In <laughs> this Sherman. instance. In this instance. And the Civil War overall. <laughs> In this instance. Don't twist my words around, Nick. <laughs> this was not Sherman's finer moment. That's for sure. Faulty intelligence, not good maps, and just... I think a little bit of ego thrown in there led Sherman to being in the wrong spot. So I full well will admit when my favorite general messes up. All right. I just wanted to put you on the spot there. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No, Hooker did an amazing job at Lookout Mountain. Um, You know me. I will defend him after that. After those episodes. We're team Hooker on this. Or I know me and Mary are. I don't know where you stand, boy, but we're definitely team Hooker. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I am too. I don't know if I'd say team hook team hooker as much as like you know maybe a supporter of General Joseph Hooker. I almost said I almost worded that poorly. Um, yeah, I mean I think that he's he's You're more a supporter of, of Hooker. Hookers? Hooker. 
I'm a hooker supporter. No, um, I think he's 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 unfairly maligned in in many cases, mm-hmm. um, and that he was kind of caught in the middle of the storm of the of uh, the short leash that Lincoln had been putting people on, and uh, you know he didn't he didn't get a whole lot of room for error um, and not a whole lot of leeway. So yeah, and this is kind of where he manages to, I think he does manage to somewhat redeem himself here in the West a little bit from that. Um, so Grant's plan then on the 25th is um, like Sherman's going to attack Tunnel Hill, which is Bragg's right flank. And Thomas is initially given a supporting role and he's ordered by Grant to carry the rifle pits and ridge directly in front of them or move to the left as the presence of the enemy may require. And Grant had no expectation of Hooker except to divert Bragg's attention. Um, so Sherman's troops, once they get to where they need to be, they do have some early successes, but he is faced against um, Confe- Confederate General Claiborne, who is one of the more talented generals in the Confederacy, and he just throws everything at Sherman, and he Sherman can't do it. He The attack on Tunnel Hill stops around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And that's when Grant turns to General Thomas Wood. Um, And Thomas Wood was the one at Chickamauga that got the uh, infamous order to move his division and create the gap, which caused Longstreet to break through. He, Grant says to him, General Sherman seems to be having a hard time. It seems as if we ought to help him. And Wood is commanded by Thomas. And Thomas is at first reluctant to do this without knowing that Hooker is going to be able to successfully attack Bragg's left flank. So that or that's where Hooker ends up is doing that at a place called Rossville Gap. So once that happens, Thomas finally agrees to this. And it's basically Thomas to the rescue again because of what has happened to Sherman at Tunnel Hill. He has not been able to gain the ground that he wanted to gain. So Thomas manages to overrun the rifle pits at the base of Missionary Ridge. But once he does that, there's there's still men shooting down at him. So contrary to what Grant had ordered, Thomas's men charge up the ridge. These are the same men that had, you know, held back the Confederates at Snodgrass Hill during the Battle of Chickamauga. They charge up Missionary Ridge shouting, Chickamauga, Chickamauga. And the attack is disorganized, but it's effective. And General Sheridan is also here. Prior to when he attacks... He toasted the Confederates above him, stating, here's to you. And they fired on him and got dirt all over his officers and, and as well as Sheridan. And Sheridan responded by saying, that was ungenerous. I'll take your guns for that. And that's exactly what he and his men did. He and his men charged up that hill too, along with Thomas's men. And the Confederates had no tactical reserve in place, and they just run scattered from Missionary Ridge. And that's when the battle ends and the outcome just just real quick i i always love the civil war stories when they start chanting other battles like you always hear people or you often hear about people talking about remember the fallen and you know really nice things that you know memorial day or whatever but like what a tribute to to your fallen brothers and sisters in arms to like go into battle chanting where they made their sacrifice as Mm -hmm. a motivator 
I don't know. I think that's so cool. I know that I think they did that with Fredericksburg as well. Yep. Right after that battle, they would chant Fredericksburg, which, you know, history has kind of gone down as like, oh, that was a humiliating defeat. And Burnside was, you know, completely, you know, just completely inept and whatever else. But they've used that as a rallying cry for like the brave of the people that in that battle to motivate them. I just think that that's that's a really um, I like it. That's just kind of one of the cool stories about the Civil War uh, that I that I think is compelling. Yeah, it, and I wanted to include it in this, and it's also um, at the Visitor Center at um, Chickamauga Battlefield. There is an excellent introductory video, which if anybody goes to visit Chickamauga, watch the introductory video about the battle. It gives a great overview, and they actually talk about this, that the men ran up the hill shouting, Chickamauga, Chickamauga. And I, the first time I heard it, I got chills. I'm like, wow, that is really something that they're you know, here they are again, and they're finally able to, to kind of just do what they needed to do the first time around and they're getting them. No, I agree. This is a great part in that uh, book that we talked about, right? If I remember correctly, the Shara book. Yes. This is a great chapter in that as well. I remember reading it. Um, He does a great job kind of explaining them going up and um, because he writes from the point of view of Grand in that book. Am I correct on that? Yeah, and he's yeah, like, Grand is just like, what are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're taking the ridge. And what's the name of that book again, Mary? The, the Smoke at Dawn. Yeah. Great book. I know we mentioned it the last couple episodes. So Yeah, it's actually one, if you haven't had any introduction to the Battles of Chattanooga, it is a great one to read to uh to get to know the people there like to get to know grant sherman uh bragg is a character in it and he's yeah he's the character you will love to hate um claiborne is a character and there's a really good union soldier uh fritz dutchy bauer yep great name cool guy (laughs) he's from wisconsin he's a really cool guy um so the outcome of this battle is it's obviously a union victory and um, it's the war, one of the war's more notable example of a frontal assault succeeding against entrenched defenders holding high ground. It is really something, um, you know, really interesting militarily that happened here. Um, but Grant, again, he downplays Hooker's role again in this battle. Um, and David Powell, who has written um, a really excellent trilogy about the battle, the battles for the battle of Chick, uh, not only the battle of Chickamauga, but also the battles for Chattanooga. He's written some books about that too in the Emerging Civil War series. Um, so, in downplaying Hooker's role, Sherman's role get, gets elevated, um, and it's sort of reimagined to being something a little bit more than what it was. Uh, so, that's something to consider when you're looking at these battles is probably read a few more sources than what you actually would like. Don't just rely on like. Don't read Sherman's memoirs for it. I'm saying that he's my favorite general. And I'm saying don't just read his memoirs and expect that to be what the battle was about. (laughs) Read hookers though. Those are real memoirs. Mm, I'm sure they're quite enthralled. Are there even memoirs from hooker? I don't think there are. (laughs) Um, There's definitely none from Thomas. That's which is highly unfortunate because he's kind of downplayed a little bit too in yeah. these battles as well and he doesn't have a voice in history like Grant and Sherman do um, but, so the narrative does change a little bit in these battles to to downplay Hooker's role um, and the casualties at this these battles like they're not 
they're obviously not what Shiloh or Gettysburg were, but nonetheless, you know, troops were killed there. And uh, the Union loses 5,153 and the Confederate 6,667. And this is what forces Bragg's Army of the Tennessee to start retreating into Georgia. And so for a few days, there's no battles. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they did take an offensive against entrenched areas during the Civil War, Mm -hmm. I mean, that is extremely remarkable. Mm -hmm. Um, And to come away with, you know, pretty much almost one-to-one casualty rate. Yeah, um, is also rather remarkable. So yeah, well, well, Bragg's army of Tennessee by this point they're starving, and supplies have been flowing into Chattanooga for uh, a few weeks at this point. So you know, the army, like army of the Tennessee and the army of the Cumberland, have they've been well supplied, whereas Bragg's army is they're not getting much in the way of rations. So. I doubt if they had much energy to fight at all. But at that point, it's like, what do you do? Like, you've been pushed from Lookout Mountain, you know, the day before as well. Morale is really not great. Yeah, and that's, I think that's an interesting um, kind of point about a lot of battles where, um, because the supply the supply situation I think is key. And obviously certainly as the war drags on because the union had such a huge advantage as far as material goes, but like this battle in particular, um, the Tennessee river is kind of like the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like to, to control the Tennessee river, especially with, um, Vicksburg falling. So then like the Tennessee river and then the Mississippi river. And obviously the control of that is hugely important for getting material around, um, so to me, it's really interesting that uh, the South is taking on pretty heavy uh, cost and casualties and material and everything else um, to make sure that they have these important supply lines. But they st- but they really don't have a whole lot of su- like their supply crisis isn't just in having the wherewithal are the the routes to transport it. It's the the lack of they don't exist. Like mm-hmm. they don't have a whole lot of supplies so um you know even if like vicksburg had held and they still had control of the mississippi river and somehow they still had to control of the tennessee i think the way that the war shakes out in the later stages they wouldn't have had anything to put on the boats <laughs> and to put, yeah. put on the trains anything like that so um obviously you still want to deprive your enemy of having those supply lines in the north would have you know had huge advantages once they were able to control the mississippi and um and then of course the tennessee river um, that really did choke choke the South pretty severely. So it's not, I'm not saying it didn't matter because they didn't have a lot of resources. Um, but I think that, you know, losing – I think that this is very much an example of how the Confederacy's entire strategy was to – or had to be. I don't know if it necessarily was um, ostensibly or at least to the public, but they had to break the North's will to make war. Mm-hmm. Not their ability to make war because they weren't going to do that. Um, I don't think militarily they ever really had a chance to to win outright where they would have, you know, had a giant surrendering of of an entire army like you had at Appomattox. Um, but they had to to make people like lose the public opinion war, lose support of the war and, and then just basically essentially give up because um, like really controlling those supply lines. I don't see a huge advantage for the South because they didn't have a whole lot to put on them. No. And it's it, and if the union can hold Chattanooga, then that's going to 
cut them off even more. And I think it was more like, we're, we're just going to try and hang on. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they can't like all that is left for them to do is retreat into Georgia. Um, and the final battle in this is the battle of wrinkled gap, which sometimes I found is not included in the battles for Chattanooga. And in some cases it is for me, I think it is part of the whole narrative of the battles for Chattanooga. Um, even if it doesn't turn out as well as what it should have for the union, which can foreshadowing. Um, but find out in a few minutes what I mean by that. Um, so this is where this is general hookers battle. Basically he's the, the union, uh, division commander that is going to be leading his troops here and the confederate forces are led by general patrick claiborne uh who is an irish-born general he's not educated at west point but he served in the british army and um he's kind of rose kind of rose through the ranks as he goes and he's um he's quite talented he's known as the stonewall of the west um so total troops here are twenty thousand two hundred. 16,000 of these are union. So if you do the math, that's not yeah. that's yeah. not very many Confederate troops to defend uh, this at Ringgold Gap. And Ringgold Gap is not too far from Chattanooga. I've been there before. There's actually a little marker. There's a couple of markers there that that talk about the battle, and they also talk about the Atlanta campaign as well. Um, basically, the reason that this area was important is the Western and Atlantic Railway passes through here, and this is important for Confederate supply lines, and they still hold this railway right now. This is their way into Georgia, so they need to hold it, and um, it's a very powerful defensive position. So Bragg orders Claiborne to hold this position so that the Army of the Tennessee can retreat into Dalton, so Claiborne is their rear guard against these um, 16,000 Union troops. And uh, it's his, Claiborne's, one of Claiborne's staff goes to Bragg to get orders and he brings them back. And all Bragg says was, tell General Claiborne to hold his position at all hazards and keep back the enemy until the artillery and transportation of the army is secure, the salvation of which depends on him. It's Claiborne. So he's basically being tasked with saving the army of Tennessee. And despite being grossly outnumbered, he manages to hold off Hooker's troops. Um, there's five hours of fierce fighting. And what he does is he, Claiborne gradually pulls back his men as they run out of ammo, but he leaves a line of skirmishers. And as he's falling back, he's protecting the Confederate supply trains. And um, when I read that he left the skirmishers in the front and it was creating kind of an illusion of more troops. It reminded me of what Buford does in that first day at Gettysburg. Do you remember when we talked about that, Nick? How he was yeah. making it look like more than what there, there actually was. So it's sort of just an illusion that he's doing with this. Um, once the trains have crossed the bridge, Claiborne has it burned. And the result, and I was actually surprised about this, it's a Confederate victory. Be- well, because he got away and the confederates escaped into dalton damn it i guess hooker's not as good as i thought (laughs) (laughs) i and hooker takes a lot unfortunately hooker takes a lot of like he gets thrown under the bus for this but nobody seems to remember like oh hey well he took lookout mountain and he helped out at missionary ridge but oh he lost that you know 
battle of ringgold gap he kind of let us down there and the confederate the casualties are very low there's 220 uh, confederates and 509 union troops that are killed here so low casualties um but still hooker gets criticized um it overshadows his accomplishments and um like he just fought a, like he was against somebody that was i guess bound and determined to beat him that day and there's no more union pursuit of the confederates and they retreat to dalton georgia after that i think this is i really like the the just learning about hooker in this battle because i think there's it's easy to kind of misunderstand and i think this is kind of that over overemphasization overemphasizing the eastern theater mm-hmm. that many of us do and i certainly did when i was young and because that's just where my interests just tended to kind of gravitate um but i think there's this perception a lot of times that you know once you're fired by lincoln if you're you know pope or hooker or burnside uh, or mcclellan uh you just like fade off fade away into nothing you know like um and the fact that he still had some pretty significant contribution um and he had a pretty interesting story you know the drama mm-hmm. between he and sherman uh, and Lincoln and Grant's kind of how they played into that whole mm-hmm. thing and um, kind of the fight for um, a lot of different regions, Native Sons, I think, to kind of be Civil War heroes in many ways. Um, if you've ever been to Boston, um, General Hooker's statue is by far the most prominent um, memorial on the Capitol grounds uh, for the for the Capitol of Massachusetts in Boston. Like, it's this is a very impressive equestrian Civil War uh, memorial, um, and there's a lot of other impressive ones. But like, you gotta really, you gotta really look to find uh, a statue of John Kennedy. Um, but that statue of Hooker is like very recognizable, very famous, right, right underneath mm-hmm. that gold dome there. So um, I think that that it's to me it's 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 important to to note that um, that Hooker. Among, you know, and every other general that Lincoln fired too were not Hooker was not the guy who got beat by Lee at Chancellorsville, and Burnside was not the the general who didn't um, you know who who lost at Fredericksburg and and had the bridge at Antietam and McClellan's not the one who didn't pursue it at Antietam and you know all those kinds of things. Mm. Um, I think McClellan's one where he you know because he ran for president in '64. I yeah. think he's a little bit more recognized, and he and his firing was little bit more of a firing um but yeah this i like how we kind of get a little bit more more of the story about hooker uh in this battle and he does really well and yeah. uh um but there's also kind of the, the drama with his rivals and um trying to curry favor with lincoln and grant and and yeah. being kind of kind of butthurt in a way that um because sherman seemed to be the favorite and he yes. didn't and that drama shook out yeah they i mean there's two egos there that are clearly clashing but this is why i find the western theater so fascinating to study is there's so many interesting stories that don't get told like you have the story of going back to chattanooga or no chickamauga of general lytle um the general from ohio who was killed when the breakthrough at the gap happened and he was still trying to rally his troops together um you know and you have again as you said jeremy like hooker just how he he does redeem himself here but he still gets criticized for 
you know what happened it's like oh wrinkled gap oh he fit like you know he failed us here it's like well no he got you lookout mountain and he helped out at missionary ridge and he he is quite a talented commander and there's a lot of little stories that that go on here that i think get um sometimes overshadowed by what happens in the eastern theater and the city of Chattanooga was extremely important to Abraham Lincoln. He saw it as being nearly as important or as important as Richmond to opening up that way into the heartland of the Confederacy, which was Georgia. So this victory, like, you know, finally securing Chattanooga is extremely important for Lincoln. And even though the election is a year away in 1864, no doubt this probably was something that would have helped pave the way for him to win that getting this city yeah very much so i think you know you transition away from trying to fend off disaster to really you know by the time the election rolls around um i don't know if i would say victory is imminent but it was pretty getting pretty close um so yeah i think that it's you know and that's something that i think um can't be overstated as the importance of that election of 1864 just because of what Lincoln does in, you know, between that election and his death, even though his second term only had about a month. You know, I, I kind of look at his second term almost starting after that election, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of a lot of um, two-term presidents kind of do because, yeah. you know, yeah. um, had he been a lame duck for those that last, you know, at the time, they you know, he would have been inaugurated, of course, in March. Had he been a lame duck with McClellan poised to take over, it did. Man, yeah. Oh my, that's not. Oh, you know, I would he have thrown everything he possibly could at the Confederacy, trying to end the war as soon as he could, and maybe try to do something about enslavement. I, I doubt it. I doubt yeah. he would. I mean, he would have maybe would have tried, but he couldn't have. I don't think it could have been done. Um. So yeah, that's the the, the election of eighteen sixty four. Um, and we did do an episode on it, but um, cannot be uh, overstated how important it was that Lincoln won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is, you know, this is one of those things, as I said, that this is very important for Lincoln that he's got this city now. Like, it's no longer under siege. The Confederates are retreating into Georgia. And um, with the Battle of Ringgold Gap ending, that ends the Chattanooga campaign. And the Union has secured Chattanooga. They've been under siege with it since September, but now it's theirs. The Confederates are gone. And um, the way is now open for Sherman to advance to Atlanta, which he will do. And in just under a year, on November 15th, 1864, he will begin his march to the sea. And if anybody ever finds themselves in Chattanooga, Tennessee, be sure to go to Ringgold Gap. There's a marker um, for the Atlantic, Atlanta campaign. And if you talk to people there, that's where they say the march to the sea began, was was there at at Wrinkled Gap, and there's a really cool marker for it. And I went to see it the last time I was in Chattanooga. And for Grant, this ends up being very positive for him. He ends up getting promoted to lieutenant general, and he heads east, um, where he will command the armies of the United States from there. And Sherman succeeds him in commanding the Department of the Mississippi. And Powell states that even though Sherman had not performed well at Chattanooga, Grant trusted him implicitly and unleashed him to carry the war to Atlanta, Savannah, and then to the Carolinas. And as I said, even though the election is a year away, this no doubt will boost morale in the North. 
And on the Confederate side of things, Bragg ends up getting relieved of command. Um, This probably isn't too surprising (laughs) at all, but what he does is uh, Bragg writes a letter to Confederate Secretary of War Seddon, which he not only tenders his resignation, but he says, you need to do an investigation um, because Bragg is blaming everyone but himself for the defeat, including the soldiers who had, quote unquote, failed him. And uh, Seddon accepts the resignation pretty quickly, and Bragg will serve as Davis's military advisor. He'll be involved in a few battles at the very end of the Civil War. Um, and General John Bell Hood is brought in to command the Army of Tennessee. And one year and three days after the Battle of Ringgold Gap on November 30th, 1864, the Army of Tennessee will be decimated at the Battle of Franklin, Tennessee. So that story about Bragg, I, and I know I've said this on the show before, but just it's so fascinating to me that the largest military installation in the world right now is named after him mm-hmm. when he's like, you know, and I'm not one to, you know, we've also talked about the Confederate monuments and mm-hmm. what my opinion is on that. I don't think anybody should, anything should be named after anyone who fought to perpetuate the enslavement of other humans. No. That said, looking at the pantheon of Confederate, you know, people who look at Confederate generals as heroes, Bragg's not even close to the top of the list, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and it's, you know, and I know it's just like happened to be, they probably named this tiny outpost Fort Bragg that just happened to be in a spot where it grew into what it is now uh, for reasons. I, I don't think they were like, Oh, because of Braxton Bragg, let's make this place huge. But I still think it's just, you know, his name is so, so well known because of Fort Bragg and the 50,000 service people who yeah. live and work there. Um, and really he wasn't all that great of a general and he's certainly not revered among Confederate. No, oh, he was not like fans a, nowadays. He's not a very nice, like, not a very nice person either. Like he fought with everybody. I think he was really good um, in a way like McClellan. He's really good at organizing. Like that was mm-hmm. his thing. But, he had in his mind how a battle needed to play out. And if it didn't play out that way, then he did not have the victory. Like he was like, no, that's not how it needs to happen. And um, that's one of the things that Jeff Shara in his, I talk about the smoke at dawn a lot, but and the, you know, he has characters in the Confederate side of it and he chooses Bragg and he chooses Claiborne. And Shara said that um, in his introduction to the book, he said he did that to show polar opposites you know, somebody that was not like Bragg, it's not very good. And his chapters are very like, you know, you kind of get into his mind and he, and again, it's historical fiction, but he thinks everybody's out to get him and, you know, everybody's arrogant and they're out to bring him down. And whereas Claiborne is very much more grounded and about what's happening to his soldiers and about what are they going to do? You know, what's the next step in this to, to get us out of the situation that they're in right now. So two very opposite ends right, right there, which is why the, one of the reasons the book is so interesting to read. He reminds me of like an old school basketball coach who's not very good. His team keeps losing. He's just like, damn it. They don't listen to me. They don't want to play defense. They don't care. They're just like that. That's who Bragg reminds me of. Yeah. And all this. And I also advocate, let's train Fort Bragg to Fort Hooker. We need a Fort Hooker. <laughs> we need a Fort Hooker. Listeners, let's start an online petition. Yeah. Because those always get things done. 
and let's get it done. <laughs> needs to be something more for 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 Joseph Hooker for sure. He's. I mean, yeah, I, I think when it came to commanding an entire army, that was not his forte. <laughs> but, Definitely not. But as a division commander, he oh, could, yeah. he could rally those troops. I mean, the fact that morale was still up after Chancellorsville. That says a lot about it because he made some pretty incredible changes after Fredericksburg that really got the, like, when you think about it, the the Army of the Potomac that General Meade inherited just a few days before Gettysburg was the Army of the Potomac that General Hooker had created. Nope, I agree 100%. Mary, anything else that you want to, how do you want to wrap this up? You good? We done? Um, I think. I'm good other than just, yeah, if you find yourself in Chattanooga, definitely go to Ringgold Gap. Um, be careful on Missionary Ridge. It's not the nicest area. I actually haven't been there yet because it's not in a great area, but I, I'm going back in April and I do plan on doing a little bit more exploring around there and definitely get up to Lookout Mountain. Yeah, I suck stuck uh, at that. Lookout Mountain is... It's one of a kind for sure. Yeah, um, but definitely get to there's just the, there's this little area in Ringgold Gap which has um, so it's got a marker for the Atlanta campaign and but the way you'll see it is you will see a monument um, and it is a Confederate monument to Claiborne that is there that was put there in 2009. That's how I actually ended up finding it because it's kind of tucked into like just a woodsy area off the side of the road, but. Um, at the very back of this little area is the mo- is the marker to where the Atlanta campaign began, and that was really cool to see that. So, real quick, um, this is based on just like a very very um, uh, quick little search online, but like we were talking about Fort Bragg being this fifty thousand you know fifty thousand people uh, serve and work there and live there. Um, there were two military um, camps or forts named after Ulysses Grant. Uh, one of them was in Arizona, and it was only an operation. It ended up becoming a prison for, like, uh, it closed in 1905. It was only an operation for about 50 years or so. And the other was called Camp Grant, which was a um, fairly sizable um, uh, facility to train uh, troops for World War One and then World War Two. And that was in the greatest city in the world, Rockford, Rockford. Illinois. All Sorry. right. I just stole your thunder. I thought you were pausing there. No, I kind of, I was, yeah, you were, you were fine to respond. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was Camp Grant was in Rockford. It is uh, no longer uh, really much of anything anymore, unfortunately. There's a little bit of stuff there, but it uh, became the Rockford Airport. They got a unique little restaurant down there, the Command Post. And it has all this like war memorabilia from World War One, World War Two. That's cool. Um, I don't know how long staying open. I guess the lady who owns it, her husband died recently, mm-hmm. so I think they're looking for somebody to buy it. But if you ever get in Rockford, you're kind of a history person. You're looking for a kind of unique place to get a little bite to eat for breakfast. Command Post. Nice. Yep. And if you're curious, and I don't know why you would be, but there was a, another civil. There was a Civil War camp, um, which was I don't know maybe half a mile from Nick's house um, right across uh, right on the river there. So there was a pretty sizable uh, training camp for um, soldiers to go to the civil war. Um, And there's streets there called camp Avenue and Ellsworth because after Elmer Ellsworth. So um, 
I guess the moral of the story is I think you could find some pretty cool Civil War history almost anywhere you live in the United States and, and possibly even Canada because we yep, have talked about Godrich having some yep. Civil War connections. But yep. uh, And also the irony of Fort Bragg having 50,000 uh, troops in Camp Grant having closed in uh, 1946. Why isn't uh, there a Fort Thomas? I don't know. Is there? Like, wha- like is there because Thomas needs more. Or just like, just name them after, you know, I don't know, like, the. Na- I wonder what the naming conventions are. Like, how do you decide? Well, do you know that street you know? in Richmond where they have, like, Lee and... Thomas is too common. Nah, throw them out. You know, hey. yeah, that's great. No, but well, I it was like, okay, you know that street in, there, in, in Richmond where... We got a Fort the- Thomas in Campbell County, <gasps> Kentucky. Oh, good. In Kentucky, huh? Oh, wait. You got this is why you got to be careful when you're reading your random yeah, who is it named after? There is a Fort Thomas in Campbell County, Kentucky. It is named after General George Thomas. However, it's not a fort. It's a city called Fort Thomas. Nice. Okay, well, at least oh. he's got a city. So. <laughs> I still think he needs a statue in Richmond because he's from Virginia. Yeah. It was it was at one point a US Army post, but now it is a a town or city. So There we go. We might go. have to do a whole episode on forts, Civil War, or forts named actually, after Civil War generals. That's actually not a bad idea because I, and I know we're like spinning our way out of control here, but um, I distinctly remember one of the coolest Civil War memories I had as a kid. We used to take vacations every now and then to Gulf Shores, Alabama, uh, down to the Gulf of Mexico, and in Mobile, there's a Civil War fort of fairly little consequence um in the big picture as far as the civil war goes but it's a pretty fairly intact um fort guarding mobile bay and it's super cool like just because you can walk around and see what a civil war fort was like um so yeah the forts the ones that are still around uh, are pretty cool to visit so um and there's very few of them that were like you know major stuff took place here this is like you know hallowed ground like gettysburg or whatever um but it's still kind of cool to walk around and kind of see what they look like. Mm-hmm. I agree. This is a future episode. I already got yep. the title name. Right. Let the fort be with you. Nice. <laughs> I love it. And that was going to transition into something I was going to bring up in our of the people by the people, but I'll just bring it up now. Two things I do want to remind all of our listeners. One, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker comes out uh, technically on the 20th, 20th, but you can see it on the 19th. We, uh, two or three years ago, did an episode comparing and casting the Civil War with Star Wars characters. So check that episode out. It was somewhere around the time The Last Jedi came out. It was a crossover episode with one of our one of my favorite podcasts, The Blockade Runner, uh, with our buddy John. Um, so if you're in the mood for Star Wars and you need a hankering for some rail splitter Civil War talk, there's only one episode that I'm pretty sure in the history of podcasting that combines the Civil War and Star Wars. Uh, and it will be that one. So check that out. We'll try to tweet out a link to it. Um, and also, I think it was last year, but it might have been two years ago. We also did a Abraham Lincoln gift giving mm-hmm. Civil War gift giving mm-hmm. episode where each of the three of us talked about gift ideas either for us or from us uh, involving the Civil War. So you should check that episode out, too, because uh, obviously uh, most of those gifts uh, still would apply a couple years later. So uh, and I'll try to remember to send a link out for that one as well. All righty. Uh, let's go to our weekly segments of the people by the people. Mary, what you got? Um, I have one. It's actually, it's a little bit older. Um, so I didn't actually see it this week, but I've been meaning to talk about it. Uh, Kathleen, one of our listeners, 
she took the Norman Rockwell um, painting um, or drawing of Lincoln. He's holding an axe and reading a book. And she put below it, rail split niche. She posted on our Facebook page a while ago, but I wanted to make sure that I gave her a shout out for that because that is awesome. So thank you, Kathleen, for that. Yes, very cool indeed. Boys, did you have something else, or was that what you were going to use? No, I, I like that one quite a lot, actually. Um, no, I meant as far as the... I know, no, oh, I was not oh, going to okay. use that one. Um, a really good Twitter follow, at Civil War Humor. Mm. Um, all one word, common spelling. Um, is full of good stuff, but um, they had... Their, they, whoever runs that Twitter feed, had a really good thread that they posted a day ago. Two days ago was McClellan's birthday. Yeah. Uh, Mary had tweeted some stuff about it. Um, but they had a whole string of tweets in a very creative and funny way. It was, it's like, this was like a, a thread of tweets, very uniquely combined humor, fact, and um, sarcasm kind of all in one because get like, it was about McClellan and his wife and it was about her um, story, her biography a little bit, who she dated and who proposed to her before mm-hmm. McClellan, <laughs> kind of their little love story. So, like, it was one of the few times in my Twitter life where I was learning while somebody was throwing shade at McClellan, uh, and it was really funny. So mm-hmm. um, I would suggest checking that thread out. It was from one day ago, and it starts like, it's time for the annual Civil War humor story about George McClellan on his birthday. Um, and it is, uh, it's the saga of his first great campaign, which led to his first soul crushing defeat and his first precipitous retreat. Yes. I'm talking about his marriage proposal, uh, which sounds, it sounds like he's making like a standard, like marriage joke. He's not, he kind of shows why that was funny and why, why it fit. But anyway, so that's mine. I found one here as I was just, uh, doing my, you know, top notch research last second. This might blend into uh, This Week in Lincoln. I don't know if we have one. Uh, But basically on the Facebook page, there is, as my iPad just crashed on me, there is an image that uh, was posted, and it comes from a museum. It's a picture of Lincoln that was made entirely with bugs. Did you guys see this at all? I did. I did. It was good. It is... Images of Abraham Lincoln. They posted in our Facebook chat oh, November yep. 23rd. Yep. Fairbanks Museum up in uh, Vermont. They have this crazy picture, man. It's uh, entirely made of bugs. It was, I guess, seen on Wild Travels on PBS. Um, it's wow. cool. Check it out. Yeah, I, I don't really know what to say. I don't know how you get inspired to do something like this, but I like it. Yeah, and it's very clearly Abraham Lincoln. It yeah. does not look like a bunch of bugs. And I think, Nick, I think you're good to count that for both because it definitely fits. Yeah. Oh, I wanted Baby Yoda to be this week in Lincoln. This Baby Yoda <laughs> is every week and everything. <laughs> Dude, Baby Yoda is the cutest thing I've ever seen in my I life. know. I love Baby Yoda. So, my, my, my daughter, she's six, and she's been kind of resistant. There's a Star Wars term, but she's a little resistant to Star Wars. Doesn't want to watch it when we're trying to ramp up for The Rise of Skywalker. But she loves watching The Mandalorian. But we have to call it Baby Yoda. So if I said to my son, hey, there's a new episode of Mandalorian. You want to watch it? And then to get the family to watch it, we have to say to my daughter, hey, there's a new episode of Baby Yoda. Do you want to watch Baby Yoda? They're actually, yeah, I want to watch Baby Yoda. 
So <laughs> we tricked her into thinking the show is called Baby Yoda. I've started calling it the Dadalorian. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> good. That show's so good. When one of my friends and I, we constantly send Baby Yoda stuff to each other. Time so and she's into the Civil War too, but we've kind of got into the whole like here's a Baby Yoda picture. Happy Monday. <laughs> Yes, our Civil War casting was definitely pre-Mandalorian, so you're not going to... Perhaps after Rise of Skywalker, we'll have enough new characters to to reinvent it. I've actually... It's funny, like, whenever I watch Star Wars, or when I've been watching The Mandalorian, I'm like, I'm rethinking what I said. I think we need to have a redo of that episode, because my thinking has changed. I don't remember what I said. Neither... Well, I sort of do, but now I'm like, (laughs) I want to... Like, now that I know more, I want to do it again. Dude, we could easily do it. We cast the Civil War using Star Wars characters. Technically, it's the same thing, yeah. but technically, it's not. Do we do it the other way? Yeah, it's yeah, kind of the that's same. What I, think. Yeah. I was just what? proud when I when uh, Watan Bor, who's like a really obscure character that John from the Blockade Runner really likes, yeah, uh, that I was able to cast that character as the mer- the monitor. I think it was so. Yeah, that was perfect. That was yeah. That's I, it was it was just just a stroke of luck, you know. It's the stars aligned or something, and I don't know how it popped into my head, but that was the peak of my podcasting, I think. Yeah, well, right now I'm trying to think. Every time I watch The Mandalorian, I'm like, who would Mando be? Oh wow, some sort of rogue, like he's rogue. You know, yeah. We 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 don't even know who he'd be. He, he's some like Civil War, like behind the scenes, behind the lines. Guy he, wreaking havoc. Like, he was so good we don't even know about him like missouri fighting and like where it's all crazy there yeah he's and like then. usurping conf- confederate plans all yeah. over the place but like that doesn't take any credit for it and it never goes in the papers because that's not they can't know that it even exists because he's like this you know kind of covert kind of thing special ops before special ops <laughs> yes. That's what I think. Yeah. At least we're saving all the mindless chatter for the end. So or or he could just be a bounty hunter and like just looking for people that Abraham Lincoln wanted to suspend habeas corpus for. Speaking <laughs> of which, do we have any reviews that have come in at all? Ooh, no, we're, we're sitting at 62. I checked mm. today before we went on. So please review us on uh, iTunes. Um, let your friends know if they think they'll like this. So. Helps us get us out there, get us more listeners. We get more listeners. Sometimes we get some cool guests, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, just saying. Little hint. So, uh, yeah, our next few episodes uh, would definitely be a little bit more Abraham Lincoln or a little more presidential and Abraham Lincoln focused. Um, and, you know, we've definitely got some guests lined up. So I think you guys will be excited to see who we're going to have on. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff going on at uh, Real Split Nation. All right. Any last words, you guys? Thank you, as always, uh, Real Split Nation, for listening, supporting us, being so active on Facebook and Twitter. We really appreciate it. You guys rock. And thank you to Nick and Jeremy for uh, kind of letting me do this episode (laughs) about the battles for Chattanooga as well. Hey, thanks for carrying the load. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, Mary. I mean, I think it's important. I I learned a lot from these uh, just because my early, my formative years as a Civil War buff um, basically completely neglected the entire Western theater. So um, I do enjoy kind of learning about uh, those those battles for sure. So, um, and thank us, of course, to everyone for listening. Um, and we're looking forward to wrapping up 2019 in, in a strong way and heading into 2020 with some really good content. 
Um, and it's a little premature, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. My 2020 resolution is to be a little bit more active on social media from a rail splitter perspective and put a little bit more out there. I kind of realized I've been slacking a little bit. So there you go. I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully start three weeks early. All right. All right. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, uh, with males towards done and charity for all peace out rail Nash. Peace. Peace out.